we are, um, we're going to talk about the last supper today. And I know it's Palm Sunday, but we've been in a, a, a progression of talks where we are, um, just going down through the passion week. And, and today we're on, uh, what we would call the last supper. And we're going to lean into that a little bit this morning. And, and hopefully God is going to teach us God's word will teach us a little bit about serving. Now I know in a lot of ways I'm preaching to the choir because, because you guys serve really well, but we need to be reminded. Amen. Because, um, because believe it or not, I'm not going to, uh, I'm going to be a little transparent. Sometimes I can become self-serving. Not, not very often, but occasionally. And it's a constant battle that we, the tension is always there. Do I do something that benefits me or do I do something that benefits others? Anybody ever wrestle with that? Oh, we got a whole room full of Mother Teresa's in here. Oh, I should preach on something else. I have a feeling it's something we all struggle with. If I looked at our Amazon accounts, I could tell you how much you serve yourself and how much you serve others. So we're gonna read from John chapter 13. Actually, this last supper is, is, is dealt with in all the gospels, but we're gonna, we're gonna read John's version of this today in John chapter 13. Why don't you stand to your feet one more time in honor of the word. I'm going to read a decent amount of this because I, I like the whole story. So uh, it's important to get the context of what we're talking about. So John chapter 13, we'll start in, we'll start in verse one. Say amen if you're ready. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already entered in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, Simon's son to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to, back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter and said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus, Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but it is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That's why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, do, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and you are right for so I, so I am. If I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. 
I know who I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now, therefore it takes place, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever reaches the one I send, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And the disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples who Jesus loved was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of who he was speaking. So that disciple leaning back against Jesus said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. After he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now, no one knew at the table why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out and it was night. Father, thank you for your word this morning. We pray, Lord, today that it would renew our minds. It has the power to change us, change our hearts, to change our minds, and in turn change what we do. We pray, Lord, that when we leave here, we'd be more like Jesus. Thank you. We came here on purpose to do this. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, amen. You may be seated. All the gospel writers record their version of how this, how this dinner went down and um, believe it was on a Thursday, not actually on Friday, and it was a secret gathering. The disciples, right up until it happened, didn't know it was going to happen or where it was going to happen. And Jesus said, hey, go, go, you'll find, they gave him these instructions and it was kind of like going and getting the colt when he rode in on the triumphal entry. So they go and they talk to a guy, they find out the place has already been prepared. So they go up into the upper room and there's been a preparation for them to eat together, Jesus and the disciples. Since it was a secret meeting, it seems like there was no servants up there with them. Now you have to remember that that the leaders at that point in time, the Jewish leaders had already been so aggravated, so angry with Jesus that they were plotting a way to, to kill him. They were plotting a way to get rid of him. And so this wasn't, this wasn't a dinner they could all have together and, and invite the whole town into. This had to be an intimate setting and there wasn't anybody around with them. From what we can tell from the gospel writers, it was just Jesus and the disciples. So that presents a little bit of a problem because you have 12 disciples and Jesus in the room with dirty feet. Now, if any of you have ever had teenagers, you know that dirty feet doesn't bother male teenagers. Actually, dirty feet doesn't bother most males. I just want to make sure we get the dynamics of the room right. It's a little bit hard for us in the context of 
of um, the way we do American hygiene. It's a little bit hard for us to understand this concept we're getting ready we're getting ready to do to talk about right now. Now I know there's I know there's churches that symbolically still practice feet washing. As long as I'm the pastor, we probably won't do that. Um, I don't want to wash your feet because it doesn't mean anything today. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? It's weird. I don't want you to wash my feet because I took a shower this morning and I put clean socks on and I kept my shoes on the whole time I was coming here and never once did I take my shoes off because I don't do that. So a lot of times, a lot of times it's hard for us to grasp what the big deal was about it because foot washing has never been a thing in the United States. There was boots when we came here. Everybody get that? There were socks available when the pilgrims made the trip. So the sandals thing were not really good for the climate of the mid-Atlantic region when the, when the pilgrims landed. So foot washing has been a long, long distant idea way back to the times of Jesus. So it's hard for us to translate it into our modern our modern self-care routine. But here we go. Jesus had organized preparations for this meal. We know, we talked about last week, he, he had already been anointed for burial. The progression is happening on Friday, which we'll celebrate Good Friday. We'll talk about this. He's going to be arrested. He's going to, it's going to be, it's going to, or he's going to be arrested after this meal in, in the Garden of Gethsemane. And then he's going to be tried. He's going to be crucified. It's, it's starting to rapidly progress here. So he's taking this moment out with his disciples and he's going to do the Last Supper. It's where we're going to get the idea of communion from. It's where we're going to, it's where it's going to solidify it in the church. Serving is a, is a thing we talk about a lot. How do we serve people? How do we become servants? How do we, how do we deal with that? And um, I think, first of all, the thing we need to cover is what kind of mindset we need to be a servant. And the thing that I want to make explicitly clear first off this morning, because it would be super easy in today's climate in today's culture, in, in the culture that we have in the United States now, to feel like Jesus was a victim of the whole thing. I mean, after all, it's the Last Supper. Judas is there. We know Judas has already plot. He's plotting. He, he's, he's just irritated with the way Jesus does things, and he's, and he's going to sell him out for some money. You read ahead a little bit, you find out that, that Peter was going to deny him. I mean, people around him when he gets arrested just disperse like they never knew him. And he's, he's kind of led to the slaughter. He, he's crucified. There's nobody to stand up for him. And it feels like we could put Jesus in the victim group. Amen? 
Like poor Jesus, none of his, his closest friends wouldn't even help him at this time. It was just, it was just like he was all alone. These were false charges. They weren't real. And, and here's Jesus, the victim. And I need you to know up front this morning that Jesus was not a victim. Jesus wasn't a victim. In verse three, it says, Jesus, knowing that the father had given all things into his hands. Does that sound like a victim? Knowing that the father had given all things into his hands. He had authority over everything. And that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. So he gets ready to serve with the mentality that all this is mine. Everything had been put into my hands. Matter of fact, on the way from Jericho to Jerusalem, before he does the triumphal entry, he's pulling the disciples aside and saying, hey, listen, we're getting ready to go into Jerusalem and they're going to arrest me. They're going to beat me. They're going to crucify me. And we're still going to Jerusalem. Do you remember that? So what happens is there's no part of Jesus that's a victim. There's no part of him that's thinking like a victim. There's no part of him that, that feels bad for himself. This is why this is important. Because it's hard for victims to serve other people. Because we, once we start zoning in on what's happened to us, I'm not saying there hasn't been trauma in your life. There probably has. There's been a little bit of trauma in all of us. Some a little more than others. But as soon as I embrace a victim mentality... As soon as I embrace the idea that the whole world's against me, that everything bad has happened to me, as soon as I embrace that, it blocks off the idea that now I could serve someone else. Because as a victim, I'm looking for someone to serve me. And the problem with our culture today is we have more victims than servants. I know this might sound a little abrasive, but the church can't afford to be victims. So why do we do what we do? Why does it, what happens if our circumstances change? Does it change why we do what we do? So my life is going pretty, it feels like the past week went pretty well. Would you agree? Just checking. It feels like this past week went pretty well. Anybody have this past week go pretty well? Raise your hand. The rest of you are like, that's why I'm in church. I have no idea what I'm doing and it's awful. Your week went pretty well, and maybe you're thinking, hey, you know what? Maybe I could, maybe I gotta lean into serving somebody. Maybe I can lean into, hey, the grass is getting ready to grow, or the grass is growing. I figured out, I looked in great dismay the other day and thought, the grass is growing. You know what that means? Somebody's got to mow it. I'm praying to God, my son still hears the calling from the Lord in his ear. <laughs> mow the grass for your father praying that he hears the voice of the Lord clearly. Oh man, maybe I could serve somebody. Maybe I could go mow somebody's grass. That their lawnmower broke down, they couldn't afford another one. Maybe I could mow somebody's grass. Maybe I could mow somebody's grass that's living by themselves and and are are at an age where they can't do it. Maybe I could, oh, maybe you're thinking that way this week, right? Maybe you're thinking that way this week. And then what happens is next week, your circumstances change. 
Next week, you get in a fight with your spouse. Next week, your kids don't listen. Next week, next week, you find out you're not going to get a raise that you thought you were going to get. Next week, you got your vacation canceled. Next week, all these bad things happen. And then our mentality about serving changes. Because we stop thinking about the people we could serve, and then we go to, Lord, why are you letting this happen to me? I'm the victim here. For goodness sake, I was talking about mowing somebody's grass last week. You see how good-hearted I am? And then this week you let all of that happen? We're like ping-pong balls. I'm a servant. I'm a victim. I'm a servant. I'm a victim. And we just bounce back and forth, bounce back and forth, according to our circumstances. And every time the church leans into our circumstances and we let it govern us, we become schizophrenic. We are either servants or we're victims. There's no way you could be both. So Jesus is telling the disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem to die. I'm going there to lay my life down. I'm going there on purpose. Why is he telling that? To prepare them a little bit? Yes. But to make sure they understand. He is not being taken advantage of. There's no part of him that's sitting at the Last Supper going, can you believe this is happening to me? I'm the son of God. They don't even like me. You don't hear that. You hear him. All things were given to me. Right before he gets up to serve. Hours before he's arrested. I mean, this thing is starting to take on this rapid pace. Hours before he's arrested. He's going, I'm still Emmanuel, God with you. I'm still God in the flesh. All authority has been given to me and I'm still going to the cross. Don't you dare believe for a second that anybody's taking advantage of me. Don't you dare believe for a second that I'm a victim in this thing. Nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down willfully. Amen? So if the church wakes up in the morning and no circumstance can make us a victim, that means we can serve in every circumstance. Did you get it? How do we need to think? We need to think with clarity and with focus. Philippians 3.12, Paul, this is such a famous portion of scripture. Paul says, not that I've already attained all this or I'm already perfect. He's saying, I haven't gotten to the place where I want to be. Now you got to remember, this is the end of Paul's life. Paul's not 23 years old going, man, I got a lot to achieve. This is towards the end of it. And he's still writing. I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made me his own. He says, I do not consider it that I've made it my own, but one thing I do. What if you had that singular focus in your life? One thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining towards what lies ahead. What if we could forget the circumstances we're in? I've been told I'm really good at that. Hey, do you remember when this happened? Nope. Do you remember when this happened? Nope. It's like I block everything out. I'm not saying that's healthy. I'm just saying I'm good at it. But here's what it allows us to do. When we, when we can contextualize what has happened to us, I'm not a victim. Did something bad happen? Yes. Does God still love me? Yes. Do I still have a purpose? Yes. Do I still have a calling? Yes. Did it erase the bad thing that happened? No. Can I still serve? 
in light of the bad thing that happened? Absolutely. And that's what we have to understand. In a world, in a post-COVID world, filled with anxiety and depression, it is clamping down on the church in a way that we can't serve anyone else. And what the church has to understand is even, even if my feelings, even if my past, even if the things that are happening to me now are trying to convince me I'm a victim, I'm not. I'm a child of God with all the resources of the Savior available to me. Amen? So even if I'm, hey, you know what the secret is of serving? Learning how to do it anxiously. You know what the secret is of serving? Learning how to do it in every circumstance. The, the secret to serving is only not to only do it when you're not afraid. Not to only do it when you have super amount of confidence. Because we know Jesus is getting ready to go in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's getting ready to pray to the Father. If there's any other way to do this. And it says he sweated like drops of blood. I think he was a little worked up. But knowing that... He still wraps a towel around him. And what I'm telling you this morning is that there's times in my life where I've been extremely anxious, where I've been extremely upset, where I've been fearful. And I have to ask myself a question. Am I going to let that define me? Am I going to be a victim to my circumstance? Or has God empowered me enough, even in the middle of that, to serve? So you know what the crazy part is? In all of American history, we have heroes that we talk about, don't we? We have heroes. If you ask any of those people that have fought in wars or done anything heroic, you say, were you afraid? Oh, yeah. Afraid to the point where I couldn't even talk. Uh, just scared to death. How'd you do it? I just did it anyway. I just, I just did it. It's not the absence of anxiety. It's not the absence of fear. It's not the absence of depression. It's even when I'm feeling all those things, I know he's enough and I'm not a victim. Amen. Look at your neighbor. Tell him I'm not a victim. Tell him right now. I'm not a victim. Matter of fact, when I make the decision to serve, I cease to be a victim. Because I put somebody else before myself. Amen? All right. I think this is curious. In verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper. Now, they were doing the, they were doing the chill supper. They weren't doing it like we do, where we sit in chairs all proper. They were kind of, I can't really do it. Um, you know, they were laying out, eating on their side type thing. Which the beautiful thing about way we eat is I never see your feet. <laughs> Anybody else like that? Because your feet are under the table with shoes on. Unless you're one of those people in the summertime. You know who you are. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands and he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist, then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. Now, I need you to picture this because this is not, this is not quick. And everybody knows what he's getting ready to do when he stands up, takes off his outer garments, puts a towel around his waist. And he's going through the motion. Now today, 
We can make it quick, like, hey, just go outside and take your shoes off. Or when you walk in the house, you say, hey, you got, you got dirt on your feet? You got dirt on your boots? Take your boots off before you come in the house. Please take your boots off before you come in the house. That might have been targeted to some people in here, but I'll leave that for later. So what happens, this is a process. Jesus is standing up, taking his outer garment off, wrapping a towel around his waist. And every disciple in the room knows what he's getting ready to do. Oh, man. He's going to wash our feet. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Okay, we talked about this meal was in secret. And the situation didn't provide for any servants to be present. And only Jesus and the disciples were there. Now here's the issue. The disciples seem content to forego the the foot washing thing. They just acted like it wasn't part of the process. They acted like it wasn't part of the culture. So they just walked in, didn't see any servants. Do you hear what I just said? They walked in and didn't see any servants. So they just reclined and started eating. (laughs) Help us, Lord, never come into a place where we look for servants. If the church ever walks into a room and starts looking for servants, the church is in a bad spot. But the disciples walk in the room, don't see any servants. So they skip the serving part And go right down to the meal. And Jesus is going, we can't skip that part. Listen, guys, we can't skip it. And I'm getting ready to teach you something. Jesus is the only person in the room. Let let me back up a second. Because the disciples had had a theme that they argued about at times. And um, we still do this today. Who's better? Who's better? Did you ever have that conversation in your house? Anybody got any competitiveness in their house? And, and you start, you're around the dinner table, you're like, no, I, we're, I'm better than you at that. No, you're not. And then you add kids into the mix. You thought I was talking about kids. I know that comes, that's spouses sometimes. You're like, well, who's the favorite kid? All of you have a favorite kid. We know it. We raised three of them. Your kids are like, trust me, when they're not around you, they're like, well, they love you more than they love me. And what happens is we have these, it's the flesh thing we do. Who's better? Who's better? Who's better? Who's better? Who's better? And the disciples were not immune to that. And so even hanging around Jesus, they would have these conversations. James and John's mother would come to him and say, hey, come to Jesus and say, hey, when you come into your kingdom, can one of my sons sit on your right and one on the left? And the other disciples are going, are you kidding me? You got your mom to come ask for you? You're kidding, like, you guys shouldn't be there. Like, you're not better than us. And now we find it in this context, they're still doing the same thing. Who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? Who's better? Who's better? I'm better than you. You're, be- you're not better than me. And they're angling for position Looking for servants. You know what's so ironic about this? We may not get the foot washing part, but we get this part. Because the goal of the American dream 
you could say amen now and I won't go through the pain. The goal of the American dream is to get to the point that you don't have to do it for yourself. Somebody does it for you. The goal of the American dream is that I get to a position that I don't even have to ask them to do it for me. When I just walk in, they know I'm important enough to get it done. Anybody else? What do we say? I can't wait to retire and someone else can take care of all this mess. I want to climb the ladder to the point in the corporate. I want to climb so high that when I walk in the room, everybody knows. It's, it, it's, it's in the American. I'm not saying, I'm not saying achievement's bad. I'm saying we are an anti-servant culture. Because the goal of all of us is to then end up being served. That's why we love all-inclusive resorts. We don't have any serving resorts. Hey, for 50 bucks, you could come here and serve the rich people, but we'll give you a place to stay all week. Anybody sign up for that vacation? You're at the beach still. No, we're all trying to get to the vacation where what happens? We walk into the room and there's some type of tropical flowers on the bed and, and somebody's just bringing you ribeyes every night. That actually sounds marvelous. And I'm not against vacations. But the Bible is against that constant lifestyle. I'm not against taking a break. I'm not against achievement. But if my main goal in life is to get to the place where everybody serves me, I'm not becoming more like Jesus. I'm becoming less like him. Jesus all the way to the end of his life. So the disciples had this constant argument about who was going to be better. And when you bring that mentality into a meal, everybody goes without their feet being washed. Because if we all get together, we're all trying to figure out, well, I mean, I know I'm better than John, so I'm not washing the feet. John's thinking he's better than Matthew. He's not washing the feet. Matthew's thinking he's better. Do you see how it goes? It's like, who's going to draw the shortest straw gets to wash the feet first. It's not a privilege. It's a curse. So all the disciples are trying to, trying to post up and trying to figure out who's better and who's going to, and they're all doing it in their heads. You know how it works when you walk into a room and you're trying to size up everybody. Like, I know I'm not the worst one here. Maybe it's family room. Maybe it's Easter dinner. I know I'm not the worst one in this room. Somebody else can wash them dishes out there. They're having this conversation at Jesus' last supper. Imagine. So Jesus, taking the tone of the room, says, okay. You guys have walked around with me for this long. You've seen me raise the dead. You've seen me heal the sick. You see me make blind men see. You've seen me. You've seen me go out of my way to talk to a Samaritan woman. You see me do a miracle where he fed five thousand. You see, you, you you saw me touch people with leprosy. You've seen me serve, and we're sitting here, and in the back of your head, you're still trying to figure out how you size up. Let me show you what it looks like. 
He stands up. Takes his outer garment off, wraps a towel around his waist. And you can feel the tension in the room with the disciples going, I missed it. You can feel Peter like, oh, he's, he did it again. He's going to get up and wash our feet. going to be so stupid. How can I be worrying about position? Here's Jesus. He told us this week that he's going to die. And now he's getting up to wash our feet. I can imagine him. I can imagine that being the slowest pour of water into that basin you've ever seen. Jesus just like this. In the tension building in the room, he starts bending down, washing their filthy man feet, wiping them off with a towel. And then he gets to Peter. Peter says, you're not going to wash my feet. You're not going to wash my feet. Can I, can I let you in a little something? If you refuse to serve, don't refuse somebody else's service. If you refuse to serve, don't make it awkward when somebody else then tries to serve you. Man, the church is good at that, aren't we? We're like, I ain't going to do it, but I'm not going to let you do it to me either. I'm not going to owe you anything. That's the American mentality right there. I'm not going to serve you, but I'm not going to let you serve me because then I'm going to feel like I'm going to owe you something. And so Peter gets that. Peter's like, no, 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 Lord, you can't wash my feet. Like now all of a sudden he's got a moral compass. Now all of a sudden Jesus washes some other disciples' feet and gets to Peter. Not me. Not me. I see what this is about. I should have been, Lord. I... And Jesus says, Peter, don't act a fool in this moment. I'm going to wash your feet and teach you the same lesson that I'm teaching everybody else. And if you don't want me to wash your feet, then that's telling me something as well. You know what I had to learn at some point in time? That sometimes God allows people to serve me to teach me how to serve. And in my pompous attitude, in my... Hmm arrogant attitude sometimes where I don't think I need any help. God will send people to help me. Um, that's a lot, isn't it? Sometimes I get that way a lot. And God will humble me by sending somebody better than me to serve. And I'll go, you got me again. You got me again, Lord. You taught me. You taught me because here's the thing that happens when the master serves you, it's different from somebody below you serving you. Because somebody below you serving you can be an expectation. When somebody above you starts serving, it's a lesson. The disciples would have kept their mouth shut if there was a servant went around. Peter would have been like, finally. Finally, you got around to washing our feet. It didn't become awkward till Jesus stood up. And then Peter tried to back out of the equation. Okay, I'm not going to be a servant, but I don't want the master serving me. There's a little bit of a control freak going on here that I want to dial into because this is so important in our culture today. You don't get to control when God serves you. 
And so a lot of us are trying to create the circumstances of how we want God to operate in our lives. A lot of times we're trying to still be in control. We're trying to, Lord, if you do it this way, this way, this way, this way, I'll be totally fine with it. It won't be embarrassing. It won't be a weird deal. And it'll look successful and it'll be okay. And Jesus says, when I get up and put the towel on is when you're going to get served. And it may be in front of your family. It may be in front of your friends. And it may, it may not feel perfect to you, but he's trying to teach us how to give up control. Amen. So he's teaching Peter a lesson of all of them. Hey, Peter, this is the way it has to be. You have to learn this lesson just like everybody else. Jesus was positioned perfectly to serve him and nobody else in the room was. Listen to me. Every time the church gets consumed with success and position, we overlook serving. I said this to uh, the church in Berkeley Springs last week. I like, I like a church that's growing. I want the church to grow. I want more people to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I'm less concerned whether that looks successful or not. I'm less concerned whether that gets checked off on somebody's list. Is look how great that place is. Because when we get consumed with greatness... We start forgetting about serving. When we get consumed with our position, we, we start losing out on, on the idea that we should be the servants. So Matthew, Matthew chapter 20, verse 25, back when, when they were arguing about it before, but Jesus called to them and said, you know, the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and the great, great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your what? Whoever is great among you must be your What? And whoever would be first must be your slave. Even as a son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Paul would later write in Philippians as well, chapter 2, verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant. If we want to be like Jesus, we serve others. Now listen to me. That does not mean, that does not mean the only place you serve is in the church. Please do not, like, okay, I'm going to check the box. I'm going to finally get the card out of the seat and check the box. I want to volunteer with the kids. By the way, if you check the box begrudgingly and go back and volunteer with the kids with a bad attitude, it's not serving. It's a sentence. Here's what I need you to understand. There's more people outside of the church that need serve than inside of the church. Right? And the mistake churches make is we only talk about serving inside. We only talk about giving inside. We only talk about being generous inside here. Serve here, give here, do all this stuff here, 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 here. We need to be bigger and look more successful. We need to do all this stuff. And my contention is there's a vast majority of people outside the church that need served. So I think success looks like when we come back in here on a Sunday morning and we got stories for everybody. 
Hey, man, God gave me the opportunity to serve somebody, and I got, got to show them the grace and love of Jesus through my life, and it wasn't perfect, and I didn't really, and, and I wasn't in a great position, but I did it anyway, and I was able to serve them, and it made a difference. They're, they live beside you. They work with you. Some of them are related to you. You got to be careful with them. Last thing is this. I think there's only two choices. Call me simple. Service or self-serving. I know, I know I should probably add a little more gray in there. So, so there'd be a little more wiggle room, but I think the Bible just lays it out. There's only, there's really only two choices. We could be, we could be people with a servant's heart or we could be self-serving. So here's the thing that's crazy about this. In the middle of this whole scenario, in the middle of Jesus serving, in the middle of him having the meal with them, washing their feet, he predicts Judas' betrayal, and if you keep reading, predicts Peter's denial. Hmm. There's a juxtaposition between Judas, and I, I don't know if I've ever heard anybody make this Correlation, but I'm going to throw Peter in there as well. Peter was not Judas. I'm not making that claim, but Peter wasn't perfect. Peter would, in less than a day, deny he even knew Jesus. I think that's that's pretty lowball, isn't it? So Judas sells Jesus out. Absolutely, it's not the same thing. Judas sells Jesus out. They come to arrest him, but we've got a picture. Between Jesus and the disciples of what servanthood looks like and self-service looks like. You say, man, that's pretty, that's pretty abrupt. Jesus prepares a meal for them. He washes their feet, washes Judas's feet, breaks the bread. And this, I think this is a little bit of a, this feels like an Italian Italian-type uh, mafia dinner to me a little bit. And let me explain it like this. They're all reclining at the table, and um, Jesus says something about, one of, them are gonna be, one of you are going to betray me. And around the table, you hear, mm-hmm. talking to me? Like, they're going around the table. And finally, Peter looks over at John and goes, ask him who he's talking about. It says it. Peter looks at John and motions like, ask him who he's talking about. Just that somebody's going to betray him. John leans over. It doesn't, there's no indication that any other disciples hear him say it. John leans over and goes, who are you talking about? And Jesus looks at John and says, the person I hand this bread to. And the crazy part is he's shocked when he hands it to Judah. Nobody in the room had any idea. Matter of fact, at the end of the passage I just read, they were all like, we just thought he got up because of whatever. They were floored. The self-serving mentality of Judas had been so concealed that it looked like everybody else in the room. And that's the danger. That self-serving mentality can pop up in us 
and we don't even we don't even recognize nobody even sees it because we're because nobody's washing feet nobody's doing it nobody's serving so so when it really starts to manifest itself in us we're all like really that was such a shock Judas goes out and betrays Jesus but listen a lot the other disciples don't end up faring so well either Peter would deny him and when he's arrested, they would all scatter. There was nobody. Hours after Jesus wrapped the towel around his waist and washed their feet, there was nobody standing around to serve him. They all fled. One betrayal, they all flee, and another denial. Church, I'm praying 2,000 years later with all the history we have, all the knowledge we have about Jesus, all the great, all the great benefit humanity has had through Christ going to the cross and resurrecting, all that we've experienced, the presence of God, freely being able to be in his presence, that we should get it by now. Amen? We got to read the story of what serving looks like and what self-serving looks like. And my prayer is that the church in 2023 would just start standing up, wrapping the towel around our waist and going to work. It's serving the people around us, serving our community, serving those that are in trouble that need something. That we become experts at it. Jesus put a towel on that day to serve people who would later flee when he was in trouble. I'm praying this church would stand up, put a towel around our waist and say, we'll serve till he comes. We'll serve till he comes. We'll serve till he comes. No matter what our circumstances, we'll serve till he comes. No matter what we face, we'll serve till he comes. No matter how I'm feeling, no matter what's in my head in the moment, I'll serve till he comes. No matter my circumstances, I'll serve till he comes. No matter what I'm faced with, here's my one thing, I'll serve till he comes. Because he's washed me white as snow. He's washed me clean over and over and over again. And my response to that is, Lord, I'll serve you till you come. Come on, stand up to your feet. I want to leave you this. Jesus, Jesus positioned himself to serve that night with a towel, and then he positioned himself on the cross to serve all of us. And as followers of him, we got to do the same thing. We got to position ourselves every day to serve the people around us. And I want to pray over you that way this morning. I want, I want the spirit to give you the power to serve those that you haven't yet been able to serve. Amen. So father, we ask you to do that. Lord, help us in our circumstance to be more like Jesus and less self-serving to be more like Jesus and serve people around us. Lord, give us the strength. Give us the power. Give us the grace to do it in the middle of our circumstances day after day after day that we be more like you Lord in every way in Jesus mighty name we pray come on church could you say a big amen encourage someone as you leave figure out a way to serve this week and we'll see you back here good